Before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level, or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters. I don't know if we're included in that, David, but if we are, hey. I haven't been told about this, so. (laughs) (laughs) Access to our community Discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you can get all this for only 15 bucks a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an exciting show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com forward slash join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, the 49ers ended 2020 with a win. Is developing a later pick quarterback a viable option in today's NFL? We'll discuss that as the 49ers look forward to 2021. And with me this week to tell us the most difficult thing he's done while getting his face twisted off, it's David Newman. All right. All right. Who got his face twisted off this week? <laughs> I do not know about this. It's Ryan Fitzpatrick. He completed a, what, 35, 40-yard pass while getting face masked. So he's literally looking out of his ear hole, and he completes this pass. I couldn't complete that pass from a clean pocket with no rush. Wait, how far did you say downfield this throw was? It it was like a solid 35 yards downfield. I don't know. I don't remember off the top of my head. But it was, I mean, and it was severely underthrown. The, The wide receiver was so open that he could literally slow up wait for the ball, catch it, and then got hit. So, I mean, lots of things happened to make this work, but that's, I mean, it's it's pretty incredible. Fitz magic continues to be magical. I mean, I can't say that I have a lot of examples to look back on in my life of my face getting twisted off. Um, so I'm going to say that if it did happen and I just managed to continue standing during that, that would have been the most difficult thing. That's David, well, my face yeah. gets twisted off daily. My daughter has decided oh, shit, that guess. my face is, <laughs> that is her fair. newest toy. Yeah. Because she'll, and last night, or no, maybe three nights ago, I was putting her to sleep and I'm kind of rocking her because it's a nap. She's like sleep trained, but naps are a little different. And she's going, and she's just reaching up and grabbing my lip and then yep. grabbing my neck and then twisting it. And she's got these sharp little Freddy Krueger nails yep. that like I cut them every fucking day. And they come back like Wolverine claws. I just don't understand how something that little can grow whatever collagen or keratin or some bullshit that is that fucking sharp that it literally is just incisive. Dude, and they're getting strong now. Like before yeah. it was like, you know, because my, my daughter does the exact same thing. She um she loves to like while I'm actually like feeding her a bottle, she uses like uh yeah. one of her free hands basically because like I tuck one under because like she causes havoc with her hands. So I tuck one like under my armpit to pin it down. And the free hand though, just like 
is is constantly feeling my face everywhere, like grabbing my nose, grabbing my lip. And like for a long time, it was cute. And now she's starting to get stronger and it hurts. And I'm just like, I need you to stop doing this. You're going to rip my fucking nose off right now. We're going to create the like the baby combine. And one of them is going to be like grip strength. <laughs> just like just like little baby like, <laughs> grip strength testers. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, it's, it wasn't. Uh, I mean, it was a positive week for the Niners. It, it was a positive week for Fitzmagic. He got back into play uh, for one more game. But my reign is over, David. I know that you were excited for me to win the fantasy football league so that I could just kill the league since I won it twice in a row. But I couldn't do it. I just I, I didn't have the horses. I started. Uh, oh boy, did I start Marvin Jones and Matt Stafford? And you know, Matt. I think someone in the text thread said Matt Stafford died so the league could live. And I'm so upset and, about it. I'm so fucking upset about it because I was relying on you. Now I'm fucking stuck. I'm committed in this. I'm just going to waste another fucking $100 next year on bullshit. I'm just going to eat my Haribo gummy bears and sulk uh, because Haribo gummy bears are a fantastic consolation prize and they're delicious and I love all of them. Uh, But the Niners did end on a high note for 2020. They ran all over the Cardinals. They won 20 to 12. And the first question I have for you, David, is have you ever been choked out? Uh, Yeah, kind of. Kind of. Please um, go on. <laughs> Do I tell. Mean, in in like uh, in a controlled environment, I put it. So is like, this when you were playing army? This is when I was playing army. Yeah. So we, you know, during during different various training activities, this would be something that we would do. But it would be like you know, under the like, it just tap out and it's over, right? And like that type. Of yeah. Thing. So you've never actually like passed out? Did you hear bells? Did it go gray? No. No, yeah. I have not. I have completely passed out a few times. Uh, uh, fun fact about me, I'm a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu purple belt. Did it for a very, very long time. Uh, and sometimes you just don't tap. And the thing that happens when you are about to go dark is your your vision tunnels. Everything gets real gray. And you know it's coming, but you can't stop it. And for some reason, you hear bells. I don't know why, but you hear bells. And then you wake up. And you're like, what happened? And they're like, well, passed out. Uh, and it's just this inevitable feeling of the world closing in on you. I imagine that's what the Arizona Cardinals felt like when the Niners kept running the ball down their throat over and over and over again, and they just couldn't stop it. And it was a running attack powered by Trent Williams, Lakin Tomlinson, and Mike McGlinchey, the much maligned Mike McGlinchey. That's a mouthful. Uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> uh, but this is what he does well. And the Niners were able to rely on the game plan that they know they can execute, run the ball really well, take the ball out of the quarterback's hands, and basically put the the game out of reach and let your defense do its thing. This is the game plan they've wanted all year. They were able to execute it, and they won. Yeah, and and it really was getting the explosive runs back. I mean, this was the thing that made their run game go last season, right? Like, we've talked uh, about before, like how... It wasn't ever really a running game that was just consistently chipping away these like five, six yard games, just carry after carry, right? That wasn't the way that they they found success on the ground. It was, yeah, we're going to have some tackle for loss in there. We're going to have some two and three yard gains, but then we're going to rip one for 25. And we're going to rip another one for 40 and, and we're going to generate these explosive plays that kind of make up the difference, right? Uh, and, and that was essentially what they did in this game. I mean, they had 227 total yards on the ground. 167 of those came on nine runs, nine explosive runs um, that they had, basically runs that went for 10 yards or, or more. And these were things 
that were coming early in the down and distance, right? So we um, have mentioned how run heavy the 49ers are on first and second down, especially. Um, and and basically all of these came on first or second down, all of them, but one came on first down. Um, and, and so that was really the thing that we saw them uh, find a way to get back to and generating these big plays because I mean, like, look, all running backs are great when you can get into space, but I think like the 49ers running back specifically are tailored to if you can get them in space they're so fast then these you know runs that like maybe it's blocked up for five or six they turn into the 20 plus gains and this is why i think jeff wilson and shanahan knows that jeff wilson and raheem mostert are the two best options at back for the 49ers currently and going into next year the niners had 3.3 yards before contact which is great Uh, and that really lends itself to someone who can pick up steam really really quickly and blow through any kind of tackle. There's a, a play in the fourth quarter where Jeff Wilson ends up going. He gets very, very close to scoring. He gets down to like the one-inch yard line. Uh, also a play where George Kittle moves a very large mass of a man three yards <laughs> off of his spot, uh, which was fun to have George Kittle back for, for this game. But you see Buda Baker try to tackle uh, Jeff Wilson, and he goes low, and he gets full-on UFC knee to the side of the head. Like it is, it does not end well for Buda Baker. It's just because it's just, I mean, Jeff Wilson's a big ass dude and he goes very, very fast. And when something that mass moves that fast, it's just, it's going to hit you hard. And, yeah. and that's, I mean, and this is what the Niners backs do both with Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. And the surprising thing about that Buda Baker play specifically is I've just been told over and over that not, he not only runs to contact, he runs through contact. And it, <laughs> I mean, it sounds like the, the knee went through his head. Um, more so than he went through the contact on yeah, this one. The giving and the receiving and the loving and the having and the giving and the receiving of the contact, <laughs> it just depends. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, but but yeah, and perhaps the most surprising of the explosive runs, though, C.J. Beathard. Dear God. C.J. Beathard. Straight out of Can the we, Daniel Jones playbook. The one thing they didn't expect <laughs> is the one thing that you hit him with. Can you? I, I just, I can't, I can't imagine in the prep with Shanahan just being like, look, it's it's a zone read, yes. We're unblocking the end man on the line scrimmage. But no matter what that guy does, just give the ball. Just give the ball. I just want to see what the defensive end does. Like I, I it, you're 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 bait. And then CJ Beathard is like, this is my last chance. Let's do it. <laughs> the best part was is so so not only does he get this run, right? And and then like stupidly doesn't go down as soon as somebody is like closing in on because it's like we're about to put juice in it quarterback if this dude gets injured um so so not only does it do that but like it actually influences an end later in the game to the point where uh wilson ends up with one of his explosive runs on the day like happens because it's another zone read and the end this time is unblocked and flies up to Beathard, which is just like why even if you got beat by it the one time just like why did you do that and then suddenly like no one's home and and wilson has a, a nice clean path to run through and and there you go it's the beauty of the zone read this is why it's so great you know i think Beathard is just keeping the seat warm for whatever inevitable mobile quarterback is going to, to be he's just keeping the seat warm for josh johnson He's going to be here and he's going to run a, just a bevy of all sorts of design quarterback runs. You know, Shanahan's, he's seen the light. He knows mobile quarterbacks of the future. Josh he's just prepping. Johnson. Like, fuck the TB12 method. Like, how is Josh Johnson? Stand- like, somebody needs to look into how Josh Johnson is sticking around the NFL right now. 
Oh my goodness. Yes. But yeah, th- so I mean McGlinchey had a fantastic game. Trent Williams, we we did a Patreon video last week on Trent Williams and uh just his power and he displayed his power multiple snaps this game. Lakin Tomlinson got back to form. I mean, this is, you know, people were were ragging on on McGlinchey for a while and saying, you know, talking about his pass blocking, but I mean, people forget that he is one of the best pass blocking or run blocking tackles in football. Uh and he showed it this week as well and and you know, I, who knows whether or not he's going to continue to build on whatever pass blocking ability he's shown thus far. But this is the gamble that the Niners have taken. They said, we know that he is a fantastic run blocker and we're OK with whatever deficiencies he may have in the pass blocking game because we want to run the ball first. And he does what we want to do first very, very well. And like to be clear, this is not just a, a this game thing. The number one and number two highest graded run blocking tackles in the NFL right now in PFF. Trent Williams and Mike McGlinchey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the Niners, the, the, they know what they got, and they got what they wanted. And they got run-blocking bookend tackles, one of which can pass block really, really well. <laughs> uh, but the the other story is that the Niners blanketed the Cardinals. And this was going to be a concern coming into this game because while the offense, we weren't sure what kind of offense, or what the offense was going to do, we knew that containing Kyler Murray was going to be a problem, especially Murray as a runner. And design runs for the 49ers aren't really the issue. Their success rate on design quarterback runs early in December was top 10 in the NFL. It really is scrambles that have flummoxed this defense and where this defense suffers. Murray, in in the first game, week one, against the 49ers, had one of the best, if not the best game of the year in terms of EPA, or expected points added, gained on scrambles. Now, on the year for the 49ers, 63% of scrambles generated positive EPA. That ranks 22nd in the NFL. Uh, so just a little like a shade under average, but not super great. I think a big part of that is just the the lack of athleticism on the edge. You can imagine Kerry uh, Hyder trying to chase down Kyler Murray, as we saw in this game. Didn't end well, right? <laughs> you you change that person to someone like Nick Bosa or D Ford, and and that is now a, an equation that's not tilted so heavily into the favor of the Cardinals. But even all of that, all of that notwithstanding. The Niners still performed better in this game, containing Murray with scrambles. In the first game, Murray had eight scrambles for 91 yards. Four of them were a first down or a touchdown. His yards per carry on scrambles alone was 11.4 yards per carry. In this game, he scrambled five times for just 39 yards. And while some of them did hurt, right, three of them were converted for first downs, two of which were on fourth down, his yards per carry were a more manageable 7.8 yards per carry. Fucking more manageable 7.8 yards for kid. Jesus. <laughs> but but the Niners did some things this game that really helped contain Murray. They were blitzing off of the edge. They were forcing him to his left specifically and then leaving someone out there in kind of a mush rush to try to get at Murray. It worked sometimes. It didn't work some other times. But overall, the plan for containing Murray worked. And in as far as you can contain a good scrambling quarterback, it didn't hurt them as much in this game as it did in the first one. Right. So like, I think that last point is something that, that really needs to be pointed out because I, I think it is easy to get caught up in like, it feels like the 49ers are constantly getting killed with this stuff. Right. And, um, you know, to some degree there, there is a little bit of evidence that backs that up. But I, I think when you're looking at scrambles, there's two things like one, 
if a quarterback scrambles to the point where he actually crosses the line of scrimmage, that's generally a successful play for the offense. Like league average um, says that like 60% of those plays are going to be positive for the offense. And, and there's very few defenses that even keep that number down below um, 50%. So, so on, on the whole, if the quarterback is able to get out of the pocket, cross the line of scrimmage, running the ball, that's going to be a positive thing for the offense Two. None of these numbers, and this is a thing that's difficult to capture, right, is none of these numbers are capturing um, the the plays in which he starts to scramble and then, um, you know, they cut off his ability to get to the line of scrimmage, right? And he has to either throw it away or they chase him down and he gets a sack, right? Those aren't going to go in as a scramble because he never technically ran the ball past the line of scrimmage. And so you you have some things um, there that are difficult to account for. And, and, And so I think, like, it's just, yeah, it's a tough, uh, tough thing to measure one. And you also like just defensively from a schematic standpoint, you really have to like decide if that's going to be a focal point of what you do. Cause there's a lot of things that you have to do. If you're going to say like, this is going to be the priority for us is we have to keep Kyler Murray in the pocket and, and prevent him from scrambling. You have to really change the way that you're approaching defense. Like for instance, like you look at a couple of the plays that were successful where Murray is able to get like up through the front of the pocket, you know, through, um, you know, through his offensive line and, and out up the middle that way. Like those plays happen because you have Eric Armstead as a three technique. And basically you're letting him be a pass rusher and he's trying to get an outside move on the guard and he fails and he gets pushed wide. And now suddenly there's a bigger lane for Murray to run, right? If your focal point was going to be not to let your guys just rush the passer like they're used to doing, you're going to say like Eric Armstead, like don't even really fuck around trying to get pressure here. You need to stay specifically in this lane so that we cut these paths off, which just like doesn't seem like an approach that that many defenses are going to really want to do. But I think especially Robert Sala and, and the 49ers defense just like aren't going to go that extreme in order to stop this kind of stuff. Which is why I think the the tactic they took was effective, at least in one game. That the kind of blitzing someone off the edge, forcing Murray to the left, and and that still didn't always result in, in positive plays because there was one play where he scrambled to the left and still was able to break contain because Kerry Hyder is slower than Kyler Murray, and that's just not the guy that you want in space. Like he 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 is he's an edge rusher, yes, but the dude's built like a three technique, and he's one <laughs> yeah. of the many three techniques that the Niners have that are that are playing different parts of the defensive line. And, and he's not going to be able to get Murray in space. It's, it's just not a, a matchup that you want. And, and so even in what they tried to do, it still didn't work all the time. But overall, as a plan, I think it was very, I think overall it was very, very good. This is the, this is Robert Sala taking a look at week one, adjusting what, adjusting to what really hurt them and mitigating that pain enough such that it held a relatively explosive offense to just 12 points. And, and at times, they just couldn't find things to do. Part of it was what they did to the quarterback. But the other part of it is now Jason Verrett, who didn't play in week one. And he is now matched up largely against, uh, against Nook, against DeAndre Hopkins. And, and first of all, D-Hop, not his nickname. It's definitely Nook. <laughs> um, but this is like the ADAP thing for Adrian Peterson. Like It's, it's very, very specific. Yep. Um, so the, the Cardinals aren't incredibly diverse when it comes to formation. And, and I heard a couple of people saying like, and even on the broadcast, they're like, oh, Verrett may be shadowing Nook because he's always matched up against him. Verrett wasn't really shadowing. It's just that the Cardinals never really move DeAndre Hopkins off of the left side of the formation. Like that's what he does. 
Coming into the week, DeAndre Hopkins lined up as the left wide receiver, which is often the isolated receiver because they like to do three-by-one stuff, on 83% of snaps. This is commonly where he lines up. This is what he does. And Verrett's out there. And so, yeah, he's just going to line up against who's in front of him. And in this case, it is going to be DeAndre Hopkins. Um, and and Verrett had a good game against uh, a, a better game than Emmanuel Mosley had. We'll put it that way. And the play that stands out is the the pass breakup in the end zone, which is not a pass that you see DeAndre Hopkins miss often. Like that play was worth the price of Jason Verrett's admission in this game because that's a that's a catch you see DeAndre Hopkins make week in and week out. Yeah, I, I mean that play was fantastic because I mean Hopkins. The thing is, like Hopkins did have it right. Like it's in his hands, and and it's this is really Verrett. Like this isn't really Hopkins losing it, right? This is Verrett making an excellent play um, to kind of break that up. And and I think yeah, like on the whole. Um, I, I would say that he kind of battled him to about a draw, I think, which is, I mean, against a, a receiver like Hopkins is pretty fucking good. Um, and is something that I think you'll definitely take uh, going into it because yeah, they did because of just the fact that the, the uh, Cardinals are going to put Hopkins on the left side most of the time. And the 49ers have, have really gone back to um, just having corners play to a specific side. And, and Verrett is going to be right now uh, the right cornerback and they had a Kello on the other side. So um, yeah, they, they did match up a bunch in this game and there were, I mean, honestly, like it was a lot of fun watching, like going back and like watching the, the coaches tape of that matchup specifically because they were getting physical. I mean, there, there was like the one play, uh, you know, that Hopkins really wanted that fucking interference penalty, but like, uh, the, the, on even the non-targeted stuff, like there was a lot of plays because the 49ers really were in this game, like letting those outside corners get up tight to the line of scrimmage a lot and get up and press. Um, and, and so you had some really good matchups. I mean, there were, there were a couple times that Hopkins certainly got the better of him, but there were a few times like away from where the target en- ended up going that Verrett like shut down that route. And like, you know, with the, just from the line of scrimmage with the jam on Hopkins and, and just completely shut him down. So um, yeah, it, I, I think overall it was about as good as you could expect uh, a 49ers corner right now to match up with them. So it, what's interesting is two things. One, I looked up Jason Verrett's height because I was curious how much he gave up to DeAndre Hopkins. And and honestly, it looks like Jason Verrett gives up a solid three and a half inches just to DeAndre Hopkins' hand alone. <laughs> DeAndre Hopkins has massive hands. Yeah. Huge, huge hands. 86 percentile hands. And, and that plus his wingspan is what makes him a really good contested catch wide receiver. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins' arm length, 86th percentile. Jason Verrett's arm length, who already gives up three inches in height to DeAndre Hopkins, 23rd percentile. He's got oh. just 30-inch arms, wow. uh, 30 and 5 eighths, almost 31. So, I mean, DeAndre Hopkins has got a clear size advantage here. The mistake I made was as I was typing, I said, instead of typing Jason Verrett height, I just typed Jason height. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, so did I you got, get the the Halloween? Uh, I did, yeah. I did. I was I was like six five. Like, how, which Jason? Do they know which Jason I'm trying to get at? And it's like, oh, Jason Voorhees. You know, also had his mother's head in his freezer or whatever it was. It was it was a good little a good little Easter egg on the Googs. But <laughs> it, it was a good battle. Jason Vrett played uh, a good game, and, and I think it's just another reason why the Niners should prioritize signing Jason Vrett over signing. Uh, someone like Richard Sherman, who at this point, uh, you know, whatever 
0.25 left of his Achilles that he that he had left in his calf uh, is now slowly withering away and his calf issue has returned. So uh, as as a human, I hope he recovers and I hope he, you know, if he wants to keep playing, keeps playing and makes a lot of money. I just hope that money doesn't come from the 49ers. Now, there was one play, though, that was kind of annoying because it was the end of the third quarter, second and 23. Another one of these second and long plays. And every I, I've been scarred from the Super Bowl because every time I see one of these long plays, I'm like, oh, great, here we go. The Niners are going to give it up. And, and they're nursing a 14 to 6 lead at this point. And of course, it ends up getting converted. It's a deep shot to Keyshawn Johnson. No relation, I guess, to the actual Keyshawn Johnson, but still wears number 19, but whatever. Hey, man, you do you. Uh, and the, the ball's completed. And from the TV tape, it's really hard to figure out what the hell happened. But I need to know what happened because I need to know who to blame. So, David, <laughs> tell me what happened on this play because I need to know who to get mad at. I mean, it, it shouldn't really come as a surprise at this point that it, it is, is fucking Marcel Harris. Like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, so, yeah, I, I think, like, I mean, right at the top, the, the safeties are a problem. Um, and, and on this specific play, so kind of the, the coverage you're getting, you know, Johnson is essentially lined up to the trip side. So they use a lot of three by one, right? So um, he is the inside most slot receiver to the trip side of their formation for, for Arizona. Um, the 49ers are in a quarters coverage, which means that kind of the, the safety that is opposite of that trip side, um, which is Harris in this case, is usually going to be the guy um, that is going to take any sort of vertical routes from that inside most slot receiver. Because a lot of times what you're getting, if, if you get like, say, four vertical routes, that that guy, the number three receiver has to cross really the the formation, right? He has to go to the opposite side or you end up with too many guys like in too tight of an area. So he ends up coming across. And, and so you have your safety that's kind of sitting there waiting for him. Um, and, and in this case, Harris was was kind of opening up toward the single receiver side which was was Hopkins and so I think like maybe he's you know thinking he wants to give a little bit of extra help um to to Hopkins on that side but with how the 49ers play it with how they were playing it you know it, it, in much of this game like that's just not really how they operate and, and you can see that like it essentially leaves Fred Warner looking like he's getting roasted and and like he could have been a little bit better there, but really he's expecting a safety to be over the top so that he can kind of cut off any of that shorter crossing route type of stuff is, is really his job there. And so uh, Harris, yeah, just kind of busting the coverage late to react. He does try to, you see him kind of running to get back there late and and kind of ends up, um, you know, coming into the screen late on the play. But yeah, he, he is the guy, no surprise. Luckily though, that did not cost the 49ers too much and they still end up winning the game. Overall, this was a defensive performance that was powered by the 49ers performance on first down. On first down, I mean, they ran for lots of first downs in the running game. And then on defense, they held Arizona to an incompletion or a negative or zero yard run 15 times over the course of the game. That is remarkably impressive for an offense, again, that was, you know, kind of coming in on a, on a bit of a streak and a, and a, a team that many thought was going to push right through the Niners and into the playoffs. So the Niners played their spoiler role, and they did so on the back of the class of 2017. The class of 2017 finally delivered. This comes from our good friend, friend of the pod, David Cochran, uh, uh, up in Canada. Uh, George Kittle, glorious return, had blocks all over the place. Led, he, he was the, the pace setter for receiving yards. You have Akulo Witherspoon, <laughs> who had another good game in his little mini resurgence. Uh, and yet C.J. Beathard, 
starting quarterback, DJ Jones, three pressures and one sack. Man, it took three, four years, but they finally did enough to win one game. I mean, I'm just saying it's a good thing that we got George Kittle in that draft. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's really let's let's talk at. about Akella Witherspoon a little bit yeah. because obviously I've been calling him Akulo because he plays like ass. And that, that, that hasn't been the case the last couple of weeks, though. This week he had another positive PFF coverage grade. Uh, so that means that his play is David approved. Um, but I think the first question is why, why is he getting snaps over uh, Emmanuel Mosley? Because Emmanuel Mosley did come in. He played. He played when the Niners were in cover one and the, the Cardinals were in, in four wide. So when they were going to go with any uh, with a man concept, yeah, you're going to remove Marcel Harris from that equation. Generally, when you're dealing with coverage situations, you want to remove Marcel Harris from that equation. Sure. But he's healthy enough to play. He's just not healthy enough to play instead of Akella Witherspoon. I mean, so that's my, like, I, and I don't know the answer to this, right? Like, uh, but, but what is the status of Emmanuel Mosley's injury, right? Is, is it like, Eh, it's not great, but obviously we can suit him up and we can play and we're just going to stick to like a, a very limited, um, you know, snap count for him essentially and, and keep it only in these specialized situations. Is that a, a health decision or is that a play decision? Right. Like uh, and, and I think the answer to that is is really interesting because if it's purely health then OK, like obviously it makes sense. Right. Like uh, be, because the way that they had treated Mosley and Witherspoon leading up to that injury before Mosley's kind of now been relegated to this part-time role um, was was very different than it is happening right now. So if it, it now is suddenly a play thing where they are actually thinking that they've got a better chance with Witherspoon out there than they do Mosley, I think that is is very interesting because it, it really did seem like Witherspoon had basically Dante Pettis himself out of, uh, you know, a, a consideration even for a role with this coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, he was listed on the injury report as questionable. Uh, Javon Kinlaw, Tavares Moore, and Emmanuel Mosley were all listed as questionable. Javon Kinlaw did not play. Tavares Moore did. And Emmanuel Mosley played sparingly. So maybe, I mean, with a hamstring, though, I feel like any kind of sprinting or running in man coverage is going to be dicey. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you had Debo, who, you know, had one run. And at the very end of the run, you know, his hamstring just goes boom. So I think that, the, I don't know. It just feels like this is more than just... Emmanuel Mosley isn't really healthy because it's not like the Niners have been afraid to throw out whomever they signed last week out <laughs> at a backup corner spot. So the, I, I don't know. It just feels like if it like Witherspoon is someone who has ingratiated himself with the coaching staff at different times because of playing special teams or, you know, doing the right thing. And most, uh, uh, Witherspoon actually said the last season he had a, a really bad injury. He said he had a hole in his quad. I don't know what that means medically, but, it, but I mean, can't it sound great. Yeah. Um, so, you know, he's, he seems healthy. He seems fine. And, and we, we looked at his play and while yes, he does have some pretty obvious coverage busts, which were a problem and are a problem given it's the fourth year in the system for Akella Witherspoon. Um, he did show some of the things up at the line scrimmage and press defending the deep third that I'm sure enticed him to, that was made him an enticing prospect for the Niners. So, while, you know, we have over 2,000 snaps of evidence here that Akella Witherspoon is not a good corner, um, you know, it, I can see how people are getting sucked into these last, like, you know, 60 or so snaps that say that maybe he is. Yeah, I, I think the thing with this game specifically um, that that is 
that would make me like be wary of of this being something that like sticks around long term, right? Is he did have like an inordinate number of routes run at him that like are right in his wheelhouse, right? So like the thing that he when whenever he's playing well and he has good snaps, like odds are it is something that is an outside release. And some sort of vertical route, either just a, a pure go route down the sideline, or if you think like a comeback route off of it, or you know, and that's some sort of outbreaking route off of that same initial stem where the receiver is going to try to get to his outside toward the sideline, get on top of him, and, and you know, either continue vertical or break it off in that intermediate area. Like those, that is the the route tree, the limited route tree that he can defend really well. And that is essentially like all he got in this game was just those routes over and over and over again. And so it did like set him up for success to to have a lot of positive plays. And, and to his credit, he like took advantage of those snaps when he got them. Like he did it. Uh, he was matched up with with Christian Kirk pretty much for the entire game and, and did a really great job like getting hands on, uh, you know, at the line of scrimmage and really disrupting his routes with with that press. Um, and then staying with him on a lot of stuff. And, and so, but I think it's like the stuff when you start building in some of the, in, like the, the inbreaking stuff and, um, you start getting into more zone concepts, which in this game, like he had, uh, you know, a couple of busts on, on some of the more zone stuff where he couldn't get up and be physical with the guy and just basically play man coverage essentially. Right. Um, you know, that was kind of where you start to see some of his issues creep up. And so, um, yeah, I, I am a, a little hesitant to say that like, oh yeah, this is the guy that we thought he could be pre-draft, right? It's, he's finally showing out like probably isn't the case. Well, he's going to get a test this week as he's going to face DK Metcalf, who is the, the widow maker at this point, the guy who sent a Keller Witherspoon to the bench. Uh, I think maybe, uh, certainly this season, maybe even last season, who the hell knows at this point, he's been benched so many times. I lose track of who's who's the offending <laughs> uh, bench giver, but you, he'll get his test. He'll get he'll get his final exam against DK Metcalf, yep. uh, and we'll see what happens in next week's game. Well, we're gonna get to some quick hits, and we're gonna talk about uh, whether or not the Niners can f- get a path to a good QB by drafting one on day two or even day three, uh, and develop that quarterback to eventually become a viable NFL starter. But before we get into that, we're gonna have a quick word from our sponsors. A Better Rivals podcast is brought to you by Indeed. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. My company just told us that uh, we're, I think we're getting out of our lease. It's going to be like full-time remote. Wow. Home. Yeah, I know. It's a good thing I bought this fancy stand-up desk, David. Uh, <laughs> just saying, we need uh, ads for stand-up desks. Let's make it happen. Uh, businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. And now Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. And you can connect them the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com bluewire. This is their best 
offer available anywhere just for you. No other pods. None whatsoever. <laughs> Only pod you're going to hear this on right now. So go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right, David, let's get to the quick hits. Draft pick update. 49ers currently sit 14th in the NFL draft. 10 teams can finish 6 and 10 or 7 and 9. There is a glut in the middle of the pack, and the Niners are a part of it. The only problem is strength of schedule is one of the tiebreakers, and the Niners' strength of schedule is very hard, which means the team views their eventual, what we're guessing is going to be a 6 and 10 record, is better than other teams' 6 and 10 record. And that means that their draft position is going to go to the back of the line when it comes to that 6 and 10 glut. It's not ideal. Look, while always fun to be a, a division rival, um, you're eliminated from the playoffs, like uh, not ideal to win that game. It, it sure would have been nice if Arizona would have found a way to pull that out. I'm just saying. Yeah, well, you know what I do want, though, is I want more Amazon Prime. The game on Amazon Prime was amazing. May have been my best football watching experience on TV in a very, very long time. I could listen to Move the Sticks commentate. So I wasn't stuck with whatever the like the stock commentators were. Which oh, was wow. Great. Is that true? I did not even know that. I feel yeah. so bad that I didn't take advantage of any of yeah, this. Yeah, so, so Move the Sticks, and I forget, he has two other like co-announcers, and I forget their names, but they do a Twitch stream for for certain games and they may even do a twitch stream for like red zone so you can actually watch it on twitch like full-on regularly but that was one of the audio streams that they could pipe in and so i i was watching that on the big screen and i was having i was listening to the move the six commentary which was so much better than the regular stuff because he's the I mean, regular he's, announcers were brutal yeah not great not great and, but the other thing was that the i also had the game pulled up on a second screen on the ipad and you could watch uh, replays and they gave you some of the AWS next gen stats. So, and, and the replays came like just a minute or two for big plays after the play happened. So you could see like, what's the completion probability? What was the time in the pocket? What was the air yards? What was the separation? All pretty quickly, uh, which was the, like probably the best second screen experience I've had watching a pro football game. So wow. I swear to God, this is, I'm not like slipping in an ad here for Amazon Prime. <laughs> like this is just me liking. Yeah. What suck it. I indeed. Saw. Yeah. <laughs> just we're well past the ad at this point. So I'm sure they won't hear it. It's fine. No, they won't hear it at all. Uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great and I want more of it. Yeah. I mean, that sounds great. I'm, I'm now highly disappointed that I didn't take advantage. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Quan Alexander uh, did not just miss the tackle. But he did tear his Achilles. And so that's important for the Niners. Why? Because he had playtime incentives for the 49ers to get a draft pick. It was going to be a draft pick this year if he met certain play percentages next year if he didn't. But the projection is that even though he is not going to play the rest of this year, is that he is still he still hit the threshold to get the Niners a fifth round pick this year. Um, I, I just I was going down memory lane with Quan Alexander. Took a look at his missed tackle spots. Just, <laughs> just, just, just a peek. Had the just itch. A peek. Yeah, yeah. I had the itch. Uh, he ranked 66th out of 90 qualifying linebackers in tackling tackling efficiency since he was traded. He, the dude misses the tackle every six and a half attempts. Honestly, that's better than expected. If you had had what's me funny, guess, I would have like been uh, like the 80s. I don't know. So I looked. I, I looked to see what it was 
with the Niners because like man is he maybe they're getting like a better version of Quan Alexander um what guess what uh, what his missed tackle rate was like how many how many every tackle like what how many tackles would he have before miss when he played with the Niners in this season before he was traded just this season um yeah every five 6.5 attempts he's remarkably consistent (laughs) remarkably consistent he's very good at he's very good at missing tackles Good for him. Uh, Matt Barrows says that Arizona held the ball for four minutes and 32 seconds longer than the 49ers, which is just the sixth time this season the Niners have been on the short end of the time of possession battle. Just your regular reminder that time of possession does not indicate whether or not you're going to win the game. And points do, no matter how quickly you score them. Time possession Uh, is worthless. I know. Uh, And lastly, Fred Warner now owns the highest PFF coverage grade for a linebacker in 2020. My he's guy, amazing. he's he he's wonderful. He's amazing. I he is uh, the the happiest part of this season by and literally the only reason to watch the game on Sunday. Yeah, Trent Williams is out. He has an elbow issue. Obviously, quarterback is a mess. Uh, you've got let's see uh, who else got injured. Uh, someone relatively important that I was very very sad about. Um, oh, I don't know. Fucking I, I just, everyone. Oh, Brandon Ayuk, Brandon high Ayuk. ankle sprain yep. because of course. Yeah, we're gonna get to see. Kendrick Bourne spin the ball into uselessness. All right, let's talk about Pat to a good QB. Uh, a good QB. <laughs> I was, I was happy. I didn't want to. Be, I didn't want to be sad. I want to be sad. Let's talk about good stuff. The path to a good quarterback. David Shanahan said in his presser today that he fully expects Jimmy Garoppolo to be his quarterback in 2021, but that he's always open to an upgrade, which I feel like makes sense. Sure. They flirted with Tom Brady ever so briefly and decided to pass on Tom Brady. Maybe, maybe a mistake. Maybe not. Who knows? But uh, the, they got me thinking, okay, what's the, is, is there a viable path to getting a quarterback later in the draft and developing that quarterback and then having them take over as a starter? Because there's a couple of different ways to get a quarterback. It seems like you can draft them early. Duh. Like that's where the really, really good quarterbacks go. Or you can get really lucky. You can draft Tom Brady in the sixth, or you can have an undrafted free agent and Tony Romo, right? But those are the exceptions, not the rules. Generally, the rules are you're picking in the top five or, you know, the top half of the first round, maybe if someone slips, but a quarterback hasn't slipped in in a bit. Um, Or you kind of take a shot on a second or third rounder and then you develop them and you basically have them go the Kirk Cousins route because this is the the route that everyone thinks about. He's the paragon of draft a guy, have him develop, sit him and then play him. So. Is this a viable option for the 49ers, given that it is the most likely option to happen now that the Niners are out of shot of someone like a Zach Wilson and trading up doesn't seem like a smart move at this point. Um, and and they've got Jimmy Garoppolo for at least one more year. Look, I, I mean, the short answer, I think, is no. Right. And and there there are, are certainly a number of other considerations there, but. I, I think like you you mentioned it already, like the 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 very short, quick version of how you find a good quarterback is you draft them in the top half of the first round. Like that is and and nobody's saying like that's a sure thing, right? It's not like every quarterback taken there um is it ends up being good. Like of course we know that's not the case. Um, but the rate of success is certainly uh considerably higher at, at that stage in the draft than it is at any point. Um, you know, after that. And, and, and so I think that's definitely where you're going to find guys most often. And, and you just don't see guys uh, very often once you get beyond the first round 
um, you know, that, that come up and, and ultimately are developed into something that resembles a quality starter. And, and the, the rare cases where you do get guys like that, um, you know, if you think like Russell Wilson, you had, uh, what Derek Carr, Andy Dalton that were, um, taken very early in the second round. Um, like I think in, in the thirties somewhere, when you look at like overall picks, right? Like those guys, um, it's clear early on that they are the best quarterback on their team and they play early. And and so like, I think that's what happened. There's not 32 good starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So the teams that are drafting these guys um, typically don't already have a good one in the room. And and so if you uh, are are picking somebody in that range, like whether they're going to be good enough is usually presenting itself very, very early on in the process and and they end up taking that job and even if it's not like a week one starter situation like it happens sometime during that first season yeah that's that's interesting because i was thinking about i I was when i first had this question i thought to myself oh there must be you know x number of players that we can take a look at to see if you know they sat and they came and they played there really haven't been that many like the 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 laundry list of quarterbacks that were drafted on day two second and third round has lots of illustrious names uh, but it's really easy to see the and illustrious is, of course, an exaggeration if you could not figure out the sarcasm <laughs> in my voice. Um, but there really is like a, a just a, a few quarterbacks at the very top that actually performed well, well enough to be a viable NFL starter. Um, Kirk Cousins is, of course, the, the big one. But the Niners have two of them, Colin Kaepernick <laughs> and Jimmy Garoppolo, two quarterbacks that didn't play right away that came in that both made and lost the Super Bowl for the 49ers. <laughs> And, and now, you know, like you're, you're going to forever debate whether or not they're good because people can't figure out that they're just unique kinds of average um, and that that's good enough to win in the NFL, but not necessarily good enough to win consistently. Like if you have, you know, a, an elite quarterback or even like a, a top 10 quarterback, you know, year in and year out. But after that, it's a lot of Ryan Mallets. It, yeah. You know, it's, it's a lot of just not good quarterbacks that didn't play right away but also didn't play much at all because <laughs> if they were good, then they wouldn't have sat their ass on the bench for as long as they did. They would have played. Yeah, you just don't see the, you know, the the sit the guy on the bench strategy um, and and let him develop. Like, I don't know, you know, I, I, I couldn't speak intelligently right now, like about how well that strategy worked even before the last decade. But especially now, like in today's NFL, it just doesn't work that way. Like the Aaron Rodgers situation doesn't really exist. Like it it doesn't happen very often. So, uh, yeah, I I think like you need to be if you're in the market for a quarterback, like you just have to find yourself lucky enough to pick in a draft that has some good ones in the top half of the first round. And like that is is what you need and you need to, to take advantage of it when you're in that situation, like I think there is a a strategy that would be interesting as far as like a, a mid round pick, let's say like second through fourth round, where if you were a team that said like, we're just going to take a quarterback in that range every single year until we find one. Like, I'm not saying that that's the best strategy and that like you should just absolutely go and employ that strategy. But like if, if a team decided to do that, like it would make sense because, you know, to, to me, obviously quarterback is going to be the by far the most important position to your success and your, your long-term success as an organization. And so 
whatever resources you're going to throw it at a position like that's the one that makes position to throw a lot of resources at if you don't have a guy right so if you were just going to say let me spend a mid-round pick on a quarterback every year and then hopefully i'll find one like that would be i think an interesting way to approach it but if you're just going to say like here is uh, C.J. Beathard. I can't go to sleep at night unless I have C.J. Beathard on my roster. He is the mid-round quarterback for me. Like, you're not going to fucking figure it out that way. And this is where, because I think that strategy makes the most sense to me. It is. And I think it was, wasn't it Ron Wolf who said, like, I'm always going to take a quarterback. And he always would take a quarterback even when he had, like, Brett Favre. And, and that's why he ended up with Aaron Rodgers, right? Um, yeah. Is because he said, like, this is such a valuable position. You have to get it right. If I have two great quarterbacks and, you know, hey, I have two great quarterbacks, that's a problem I'll figure out later. Um, but I think, you know, you look at Jalen Hurts. And, and Jalen Hurts, who knows what his career is going to be. He's had a couple of good games. But he's had a couple of good games where he's performed well in large part because of his performance on the ground. And, and he is a quarterback that's available maybe a little bit later because I think teams may not look at him as like the best overall passer. But he's a player like I remember when people were looking at Deshaun Watson. Deshaun Watson's like, yeah, like, I don't know if that guy can really do it in the NFL. And it's like he's regularly dunking on Alabama, which probably has, you know, a more pro NFL offense than or defense than some NFL defenses do. Um, and, and these players, I think because of, you know, what, whatever is being valued can sometimes slip into the second round. Um, but to your point, they end up playing relatively quickly because Jalen Hurts is now the starting quarterback for the Eagles. Um, but I, I do feel like there, there may be some value that slips if, if you're able to not always go the standard route for quarterbacks, which I don't know if Shanahan will do. He likes his standard pocket passer, like big arm, deep shot type of quarterback, um, or at least quick release quarterback. Um, and and then I think you got to keep taking those shots because if any, if wide receiver tells us anything, right? It's that even if you think you're right, Dante Pettis, you're not. And, and then if you take another shot like Debo Samuel, you might hit. And then if you take another shot like Brandon Ayuk, you, you might hit even more. Um, you know, cause you could argue that Debo Samuel, you hit a running back and wide receiver. Right. Um, but, but yeah, but I think the idea of like taking more chances, if, if you don't know that Jimmy Garoppolo is your guy, they're right. He is cost controlled for another year or two continue to take shots at quarterback. And maybe you hit on someone, uh, if you're not going to feel like you can trade up for, for Zach Wilson or for, you know, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to be in the ballpark. Um, not for what they're going to be able to give up. Um, and I do, I mean, from what limited bits I've seen from uh, from Zach Wilson, I do really like his game, but I, I do worry that the the required capital to trade up to get him, um, it only pays off if you draft a quarterback, but that quarterback still has to hit for that draft trade to pay off. Yeah, and, and like that part, um, you know, and, and obviously we have... I think pretty much for since the beginning of this podcast been pretty anti like trading up in the draft. Like generally it's not a good strategy and uh, you know, you, you're, you're certainly better off um, increasing the amount of chances that you have to hit on those players. But like, look, quarterback is, is the one that thing that's kind of like always an exception, right? Like in, in a way, like, if you go up and uh, and you get a quarterback and if that guy hits, like it changes everything. Like it, it just completely changes the way, like the payoff, even the the, the downside is obviously there and, and you could end up with fucking Mitch Trubisky and you've given up all these picks and you have nothing. You're, you're looking for a way out 
and having to rebuild again in a few years. But if that guy like suddenly is fucking Patrick Mahomes, then everything changes, right? Like your your entire the entire outlook for your organization changes and you can overcome any of those obstacles about like not having quite as many picks and like not having this or that like you can figure it out because now you have the guy in place so i i wouldn't be opposed to to like going up and trying to get a guy i just don't know that they have actually have like the resources available to make that move yeah and at this point they may not even have many resources to draft a quarterback on day two because they don't have a th- they don't have a third round pick. Yeah, <laughs> they've got a second round pick, uh, and that's about it. But it, it, I mean, I think big picture, the the drafting a quarterback, you know, second or third round, is is not necessarily going to be something that you should expect to be the viable thing that's going to get you the quarterback that's going to replace Jimmy Garoppolo and lead the Niners to a Super Bowl. Is it possible that that quarterback ends up being good? Yes, but if he is, chances are we'll find out pretty soon because you're going to start hearing about. Maybe there being a real competition and Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't keep the job. Um, and and you get like maybe a Russell Wilson, Matt Flynn scenario where it's like, yeah, they brought in Flynn to be the high priced kind of veteran, but Wilson's good right now and he's yep. going to play. Um, and, and I think that's that's what you might hear. So I think, though, it's not a bad strategy to just start taking shots and just start throwing darts. And if that dart starts this year in the second round or if I mean, with that extra fifth round pick that they're getting for Quan, they've got another fifth round pick. Who knows? Maybe they could trade up yeah, into the knows? third round and get another CJ Beathard. Um, but I think, you know, you got to start taking darts because I, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a quarterback and we've seen it. Who's good enough to win you some games. But if, if the Niners do end up in this kind of like eight and eight, 10 and six, seven and nine purgatory where they're kind of always in the middle glut because they're not good enough to consistently hit that top gear unless all things fall their way, but they're never going to be really bad. Um, then, you know, like how, how do you try to fix that quarterback problem? You got to start taking shots. You got to start, you got to start throwing darts. Yeah. I mean, the, the only way that you can do it otherwise is like, you have to bottom out. Like you really do have to bottom out. And it just like, if honestly, it seemed like if if there were going to have been a year where that happened, like this was the with all of the injuries, cause like that's the only way you're going to do it, you know, is, is an organization like this, especially with a coaching staff like this, like uh, you should never expect, um, you know, a, any coach really. But I think especially Kyle Shanahan and what we know about him, like they're, they're not going to just like stop trying and like actively pursue bottoming out as a strategy to get a high draft pick and take a quarterback. Right. Like this is the same guy that's saying like look, yeah, we know that we only have two games left and we're eliminated from playoff contention, but if Kittle's healthy, he's fucking playing because what am I going to tell the other guys on my team if I say that, like, no, he's too special to sit out, right? Um, like, th- they're they're never going to, like, pursue that as an actual strategy. Um, and, and so, like, the only way it happens is if you kind of bottom out, but you're, in in terms of what you have with Jimmy Garoppolo and and whether that can be a guy that you, that you just get by with, I mean, you you probably going to be forced to but you're about to have uh, like the surrounding circumstances are about to change pretty significantly for him I think like considering the cap limitations they're going to have and just like the absurd number of free agents that they have pending like the the elite defense that you can rely on and like every uh, everything that clicked together in 2019 that made that work like your odds of recreating that are are getting significantly lower 
It's going to be a lot of quarterback evals, I think, this offseason on the Better Rivals pod. We'll do lots of wonderful stuff because I think I was really going to try to look at some of those like top echelon quarterbacks like the and even then maybe like, you know, we're going to have to watch maybe some Mac Jones film. I'm not necessarily looking forward to that, but damn it, David, (laughs) we do it so that the fans don't have to. We're going to this is what this is the burden we've given upon ourselves. Okay, Uh, we place it on ourselves. It's a cross we have to bear. but It'll be fun. It'll be wonderful. (laughs) Uh, we're going to evaluate all those darts. Uh, we're going to do lots of fun stuff this offseason, uh, especially on the Patreon. We're going to start some of our evals uh, to for what te- what players the Niners should sign. We've already did Trent Williams. Did a little bit of Akello this week on the Patreon. And uh, we're probably going to do some Jason Verrett, more big picture season stuff. So lots of fun stuff coming. Definitely stay tuned. That, that, that does it for this week, though. David, where can they find you? Not on the Twitters, but on the Patreon. Not on the Twitters. Yeah, hit that Patreon up, patreon.com slash betterrivals. Um, like I said, I think the offseason especially is going to be, um, you know, a really fun time for, for the Patreon content because, yeah, we're going to have a chance to get into uh, a, a more of a season of hope, right? You look at some free agency stuff, especially look at, at draft stuff and, um, you know, something we've never really been able to do on the podcast, of course, is give you those sort of, visual examples of the stuff that we're talking about and so patreon's been a really great way for us to to do some of that so uh definitely check it out buy us a beer there you can always follow me on twitter at better rivals thanks again for tuning in and as always go niners 